0: Hello, and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast. I'm James Yardley, and I'm joined today by Nick Martin, the elite Rated manager of the Polar Capital Global Insurance Fund. Nick, thanks for joining us today. It's an absolute pleasure, James. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, Nick, some people think of uh, insurance as a safe haven, uh, but this obviously wasn't the case during the, the global pandemic. So what was uh, the initial reaction when it hit?
1: Yeah. So, if you do think about insurance, and uh, and when we're talking about insurance, it's important to remember we're talking about non-life insurance or property casualty rather than life insurance. You know, it's not a discretionary purchase. It's something that's often required by law. And you can think about in, in a personal capacity, you know, car insurance you know, is, is required. You know, your mortgage lender requires you to have home insurance and exactly the same for businesses as well. So the demand for insurance tends to be robust, almost despite the macroeconomic conditions you're, you're kind of faced in. And if you overlay that as well with the fact that, you know, insurers are taking on the risk that you and I do not want, so they don't double up that risk where we're exciting things in their investment portfolios, it means that they're, um yeah, their investment leverage is low, Their the risk is low, and therefore overall, there's a rather disconnected uh, return from non-life insurance compared to the broader financial markets. And in most cases, that means it's a relative safe haven in, in sort of choppier waters. But that wasn't the case uh, last year uh, with the onset of COVID. And I think you know a lot of that is now, the industry is very used to dealing with natural catastrophes, whether that's hurricanes or earthquakes. But but those things are really defined by sort of time and geography. So if a hurricane happens, you can get an idea pretty quickly of the extent of the damage uh, that, that, that's occurred, whereas a pandemic is actually something very different because, as we've all sadly seen, you know, it can last for a, you know, a long period of time and can travel uh, across borders. And that introduced an element of uncertainty to the industry that, that we haven't um seen to, unfortunately, you know, to a great extent uh, before. But I think it's, it's important to remember, you know, because pandemics are not constrained by time or geography, it does mean the underwriting of that pandemic risk is very challenging because, uh, you know, in an extreme, an underwriter is taking on, you know, some um, an uncapped exposure. And that's why a lot of policy wordings uh, for many, many years uh, excluded pandemics and communicable diseases but obviously in the sort of panic that the the, the, the financial markets had a lot of that got kind of lost in in in, in the commentary and ultimately you know we we said um, back in April of of, of 2020 this would be an earnings event for the industry sort of taking a normal catastrophe year and making it a a rather larger than normal one and that's sort of proved to be the case and and in
0: January, you said the underwriting market was looking the strongest you'd seen it for a very long while. Is is that still the case? Um, and, and why is it so strong at the moment?
1: Yeah, I, I, absolutely, it's it still the case. And you know, I've been you know investing in the insurance sector now for for almost twenty years, and I haven't seen you know a as strong as underwriting markets as as these that, that we currently have since I started out back in in two thousand you know and one. And usually, when you have a sort of Hard pricing environment, so you know, in other words, premium rates are going up. Now, it's, it's usually as a result of, of an industry, you know, a balance, a balance sheet stress. You know, that's often as a result of a major catastrophe or maybe something's going on in the in the financial uh, markets. But but this time, you know, and I'm always worried when I say you know a variation of these words, it is a little bit different because there is a a number of factors that have caused this this underwriting uh, market. You know, we've had a you know a prolonged low interest rate environment now for for many many years you know as, as i just said these companies have very conservative investment portfolios because you need liquidity in your balance sheets because claims can happen at any time so we're talking about lots of cash sort of two-year bonds uh, and sort of investment returns on those kind of assets have, have largely evaporated since the financial crisis so you know you have to make an underwriting profit because if you if you don't you're not going to make a satisfactory return for your um, uh, for, for your stakeholders, so that's led to a lot greater discipline coming into the industry. Pricing has had to go up uh, for, for, for this, and you know we're talking about an industry where, in the aggregate, the returns aren't that great. So you know, so a lot of the the more marginal average players have had to take disproportionate action on the underwriting side to get the returns to where they wouldn't, where they needed to be, and therefore that is actually a very good environment for for the best in class operators in that and. Now, we have seen the return of Mother Nature, you know, 2013 to 16 was a relatively benign period, uh, but she came back with a bit of a vengeance in 2017 with a record catastrophe year. Uh, and it's been pretty tough ever since. And that's sort of led to, you know, rising reinsurance costs, which are, are, of course, an input for you as an insurance company. So again, that, that led to, to more pricing coming through. And then finally, of course, we, we've had COVID. And, um, and I think that's just generally... Led to a, a, a reappraisal of the price of, of risk, and has actually curtailed the risk appetites of quite a few people within the industry, and 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 actually the larger companies more so than, than anything. And again, that that's really given some uh, opportunities for the smaller companies where we I tend to focus. And then within the um, my insurance strategy, where we, we try and you know keep that sort of natural catastrophe exposure to, uh, to quite a low amount, and therefore. You know, we're we're very hopeful that that our companies are set for some good book value growth over the coming sort of three, four, five year period.
0: You recently talked about how the insurance industry is playing a role in tackling climate change. It's not something which sort of immediately springs to mind. So, um, what what did you mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I I think you know, we've insurance companies just generally just take on the risk that you and I, you know, don't want. They they absorb that volatility that we as individuals or companies. Can't handle, and obviously climate change is a huge source of of, of volatility, and it has been, and that's you know sadly that that's increasing over time. So the industry uh, has got a very critical role in helping to manage that associated volatility, and also you know promote behaviours that help address the climate crisis and all, and also the biodiversity crisis that that, that we've had. And I think now when I started out in a, in this business, you know 20 odd years ago or, or so, the sort of Talk uh, when, in a natural catastrophe context is really around hurricanes and earthquakes, but in recent years we've seen the emergence of sort of secondary perils, you know, things like flood, drought, and especially wildfire. And, and it's indisputable that those are you know closely linked, you know, to to, to climate change, uh, and and then that needs to be sort of you know dealt with. And, and we've seen some of encouraging developments you know, over time and, and even you know, preceding sort of everything that's happening with, with ESG. We're kind of broadening the scope from just the climate and into the critical importance of increasing biodiversity as well. And, you know, with those kind of disclosures coming in, you know, we all know, you know, what gets measured gets sort of done. Uh, and therefore, you know, those increased disclosures are going to give, you know, stakeholders that uh, they're going to think about, I you know, Their companies and how they're managing the risk that they're talking about, and insurance is a very big part of how you manage that risk. So, you know, it it should be a very uh, strong tailwind uh, to the sector for 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 many years to come. And is climate change and the pandemics and all the increasing risks? Is that increasing the demand for insurance globally? And yeah, I I think it certainly is increasing the demand for for insurance. And uh, but you you do start to get a a a bit of a challenge in, in all of that because if you have a you know in, an increased propensity of loss. You know the the insurance companies naturally are going to need more premium uh, to to underwrite that particular risk. And at some point in time, you know that you could have a situation where you know insurance becomes you know unaffordable in, in the more riskier parts of of, of the world. So uh, maybe think of something like California, that historically has been very exposed to to earthquake risk, and you can now overlay wildfire risk. You know, sadly. On, on top of um, on top of that, and if you you know if you have a property there, you know that says maybe it's worth a, a million dollar rebuild cost, and if it but and if your risk of that getting burnt down you know, once every ten years, you know your insurance company should charge you a premium of something north of hundred thousand dollars a year, and and who, who's going to maybe you know pay that, and so therefore you're you you move into an area where you know some of some things become uninsurable, risk get too great, and therefore that's why. I think we're going to see more and more sort of partnerships between you know the you know the private insurance industry and governments more generally into dealing with some of those big risks. and you can and you can put pandemic within that a, a, as well because the insurance industry balance sheet can only take so much of a, a, a loss and therefore you do need government backstops beyond this. and we've got precedent for that. you know we, we've we've had that with, with terrorism risks, you know post you know World Trade center, we have that with flood risk uh, to some extent. In in some countries as well. So we we do sort of see that sort of coming in, but we are seeing the emergence of of what's been called nature-based solutions. So this is where nature is being a risk prevention partner uh, for for the insurance industry to to some extent. And nature-based solutions are all about letting nature restore biodiversity. It's, it's, It's a bit more beyond Sort of traditional conservation, which tend to be, you know, think of small nature reserves that are heavily managed in, in order to optimize for a particular species. Now uh, we're talking about more broader um, uh, ecosystems within this, and, and they tend to improve wildlife, improve soil health, and, uh, and maybe the, the, you know, it's, it's best illustrated by example. So, you know, many of the industry um, nature based solutions are focused around coral reef and mangrove restoration because it is much better to have. You know, coral reefs and mangroves to be a sort of a, you know, a buffer uh, for a storm surge post a hurricane, and it is to you know, build huge cement walls, uh, for example. And we've got, you know, for example, Chubb's doing uh, an interesting project in Miami, you know, partnering with the Nature Conservancy, you know, and Florida hurricane risk is still the biggest catastrophe peril in the world when it comes to insurance. There's something like $3 trillion in insured values kind of there. And what mangroves essentially do, you know is, uh, you know, is prevent. Coastal erosion by decreasing the height of waves and therefore reducing that onshore property uh, uh, damage, and of course you know, mangroves and, and then things like seagrass as well. You know they're very good carbon sinks uh, and therefore can store a lot of carbon dioxide. So it's a win-win for all concerned. So that's something I expect to see a lot more of uh, in the in the future.
0: And in regards to inflation, there's been a lot of talk about inflation recently potentially coming back. Is, is the insurance sector a net beneficiary of this or is it is it hurt
1: yeah it, it certainly is a net beneficiary I'd say James and you need to you know almost because again uh, the non-life insurance sector can be a little bit different from other parts of, of the financial market and uh, you know sometimes when you do hear a sort of you know rising inflation you know that 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 does sometimes you know ring uh, alarm bells for, for understandable uh, sort of uh reasons but i, I think you know in insurance you know, inflation is kind of always there and, and and something like Cpi is not necessarily you know the best measure of inflation in, in an insurance context And you know things like medical cost inflation is probably a, a bigger driver and uh, as we've seen for many many years that that's only got, gone one way uh for, for a very long period of time and i think you know a key attraction that, that we have as a sector is that the uh, insurance contracts get repriced annually. So as long as inflation, you know, behaves itself in terms of its uh, expectations, the insurance companies can price for that and therefore maintain satisfactory uh, underwriting margins. And you know, where it can kind of go wrong is if you have sort of you know the rampant unanticipated inflation, and especially in the context if you underwrite what's called sort of you know long tail business. So this is where you're assuming risk today. Uh, and your and your likely lost payments if they happen uh, sort of many years in the future. So think about something like pharmaceutical liability where, you know, that, that you won't know whether there's a problem with a drug or something like that, you know, maybe for 15 to 20 years or so. And therefore, if you've got your pricing and your inflation expectations wrong in the pricing of that product today, you've got 15 or 20 years of compounded error that comes through into that and you can have yourself a big problem uh, down the line, so that's something we we try and avoid, you know, within the um, within the strategy, and and you know, fortunately uh, for us, you know, we, we tend to focus more on sort of the small to mid-sized specialty underwriters, and and a lot of that long tail casualty risk tends to sit in, in those big large conglomerates that have been around for many years, and that gives sort of the reassurance that to the board of directors of that you know pharmaceutical company as, as an example when they're taking on that risk because you know they need to be sure that those insurance companies are around in 15 to 20 years to pay
0: those potential claims. You sound very positive on the sector, but um, it's struggled for the past two years or so, relatively at least, to, to global equities. Um, so why has the market um, not reacted more? And, and is this a, an opportunity for investors?
1: Yeah, I, I think it is. You know, we've, we've talked to, uh, you know, a lot about we've, we've had a strong underwriting environment, underwriting margins, are in in a good place? You know, we expect them to to further improve, given what's happened with the price in the environment in the last couple of years. We could also have the tailwinds of increased investment income, if um if bond yields go up because of rising inflation uh, expectations, uh, and and so uh, so in that sort of scenario, the earnings power of our companies it is rising, and and you know you would expect that to be you know rewarded with with a higher multiple, particularly. Uh, with a backdrop of, of broadly rising markets. And, you know, there's you know, a number of sectors, if not many sectors of the markets that are trading near historical highs in terms of valuations. That's certainly not the case in insurance. We're trading marginally above, you know, the 30-year average if you look at the US industry price to book valuations. And at the end of the day, you know, long-term returns, you know, are highly correlated with broken book value per share. Uh, and I think at the moment, you know, a well-run insurer, you know, can do. You know, certainly ten percent. Uh, I, I was being concerned on that metric, and I think in this environment, a little bit more uh, than that. So, if you, uh, you know, if a share price just follows that book value growth trajectory, you know, all else equal, you double your money in, in seven years. And so, but I think the thing about the industry we've always had, you know, is it a get rich slow kind of industry. You know, it's one, uh, it's this slow compounding of returns. You no, know, don't make mistakes. Don't lose capital. You no, know, put your push your foot to the floor a little bit when market conditions are, are there, like the time right now, uh, for example. But you know, we, we do sadly live in, in, in a in a financial market which is can be a little bit myopic, you know, it can be a bit of a an obsession about next quarter's as earnings. And, that, and I think you know a lot of investors just don't have the patience to sort of, you know, really be there for, for compounding to, to work its magic. And therefore, you know, valuations in insurance tend to stay, you know, in a in a relatively Narrow range, and I think you know, for me, and as an investor in the sector, that, that suits me fine because you know, over time, you know, our performance will closely match the, the fundamental performance of our companies, and we were not beholden to a mood swings of, of Mr. Market. And I think you know, right now, you know, Mr. Market is a little bit uh, too gloomy, uh, and given what I've said, you know, this being the best underwriting market I, I've seen since uh, two thousand and one so. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us today,
0: Nick. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. And if you'd like to learn more about the Polar Capital Global Insurance Fund, please visit fundcaliber.com. And please also remember to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at your time of listening.